Welcome to I Caught It on Audio. This is 64 Tacos Book Club Episode 8, Doom Part 3. Hello and welcome to I Caught It on Audio. Today we are doing our 64 Tacos Book Club podcast. This is the third episode in which we're going to be talking about the Frank Herbert sci-fi classic Dune. We'll be covering the first half of book two, and Matt has a synopsis for us, so why don't, you, why don't we start off with that. We awaken the desert, and there was a storm. Paul and Jessica are buried in their tent. Thufir, the Mentat, is trying to make a deal with the Freemen. They want a water decision about the wounded. Thufir eventually agrees after the wounded person, one of the wounded people, die. And the Freemen take the body to get all the water they can. The Sardaukar show up with shields and are quickly dispatched by the freemen. One of the freemen steals an orthropter and rams it into the troop carrier, taking out the bulk of the force that was bearing down upon them. Idaho meets up with Paul and Jessica. He sets a shield in the desert that's detonated by the Baron's men's laser gun, creating a giant explosion that kills them. They dig down to the freemen caves. Paul talks with Kynes. He has a plan to become emperor. He and Kynes make a loyalty pledge to each other. The Freemen are attacked again, and Idaho is bolted behind a door, fighting off the attackers as Kynes instructs uh, Paul and Jessica on how to escape through the secret passage. Paul and Jessica leave everyone behind and head to an orthropter, where they escape into a sandstorm. Kynes and Thufir get captured. The Baron plots a Raban is given Arrakis. The Baron paid a lot of money to the Space Guild to be able to pull off the attack that allowed him to retake Arrakis. Back to Paul and Jessica, they survived the sandstorm and are off in the desert once more. A sandworm eats the Orthropter, destroying any sign that they had been there. Jessica thinks that it's important for Paul to get back to his Benny Jesuit training. Gurney Haddock is with the smugglers He makes a deal to stay with them. Paul and Jessica survive another uh, worm attack. They find an oasis where there are some plants and small wildlife. They are confronted by the freemen who just want their water, parentheses, lives. Kynes, the planetologist, wakes up in the desert, is confronted with the voice of his dead dad, and gets a lot of things, if not everything, figured out before he dies. (laughs) Just in time. (laughs) (laughs) my question is kind of related to the synopsis did anybody else find this whole section of the book a bit confusing and all over the place yes i absolutely did yeah it was and it seemed a bit slower than some of the first parts we went through yeah it doesn't seem like anything like our main characters paul and jessica got into a helicopter crash and then had to survive in the desert for a couple of days and then they got into another helicopter crash and had to survive in the desert for a couple of days. And then it feels like they got into a third helicopter crash. I don't know if that's true, but that's just the way it felt. I choose to believe that's true. <laughs> and had to survive in the desert for a couple of days. That was their entire plot line. Commandeering <laughs> thopters and then crashing. <laughs> and then uh, the Baron, his whole plot line was... Being the bad guy. More scheming. More scheming. Plans within plans within plans. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And then all of the uh, 
the Atreides allies died. <laughs> that was all of their plot lines. They're, they died or they were captured. Right. Yeah, there was there was the part with Gurney and uh, Tuek, the smuggler Tuek, which was very small chapter that where Gurney, um, you know, Gurney was making that that deal with them. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he's still alive. He's still Gurney's still alive, kicking it. And then the uh, their mentat, uh, what's his name? Thifer. Thifer Howat. He's presumably under the. He's, he's been captured by the uh, by he's the captured by the Baron, and the Barons well, led him to believe that Jessica was the betrayer. Right, right. Yeah, actually, the 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 Emperor's Sardaukar captured yeah, and then the Baron's like, okay, we got to get him back because I want to yeah. use him as a, wants, as my new mentat. Yeah, he wants a replacement for uh, Peter de Vries. He yeah, doesn't want to obliterate him. Yeah, mentats are important, and uh, and once you lose one, you just replace it with the next one. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> kill an entire house they and are. steal the mentat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's there's some cool world building stuff in here. It's not it's not a total loss. Um, no, but no. The, the action scenes are few and few and far between. And and I th- I thought that the the first two, the first part, the first book, uh, and the earlier two parts that we went through, did a much better job of kind of balancing those those pieces um, back and forth. Um, I did really like the part where. Uh, where Paul was kind of magrubering the, um, the, yes. the foam to, that, to try and was, get his pack out. That was my um, note too. The MacGyver skills. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question about the Baron, uh, the Baron, um, chapter. Uh, there was this part where he says, uh, well, I'm just going to read the little section. So we got the context. It says, Kynes would leave Arrakis. You're forgetting that he's addicted to the spice. Of course said the other character and then uh, which i think is raban and then mm-hmm. or no, no that was nafood at that point and then baron says those who know those who know will do nothing to endanger their supply the baron said kinds certainly must know and i was curious what you guys thought about that because it it, it didn't like on the surface it doesn't really seem like much but is, is he talking about something else about the spice beyond just the addiction to it i get the impression that if you stop doing the spice then you die especially the way paul was talking in this previous section about how they can never leave but that's not apparently that's not common knowledge maybe like only only certain people have figured that out. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that could be. I think one thing that's unclear to me is we find out in this section that the Harkonnens have been there for 80 years before the switchover happens. Yeah. So has Spice only been known for 80 odd years, maybe 100, you know? Is that why we don't know much about it? My understanding of the, um, oh, what is it? The guild that does all interstellar travel. The guild. Uh, yeah, I think there's might be a bigger name. But I yes, think the there's guild. a capital bigger name guild. to them too, but they don't use it as often. Yes, yes, but capital, mm-hmm. B, uh, capital G guild, they have figured out by using the spice, as and my understanding is they use the spice to be able to make all the complex, you know, um, like in a trance, they make the all the complex uh, calculations necessary for for the uh, for the travel. Right. Interstellar travel was not possible before, uh, certainly right. not in the capacity that they do it now. Has that all been developed recently? Like, is that is it a very new thing? It does. I didn't doesn't feel that way. I agree. It doesn't feel that way. Um, it seems like it's been a part of the the universe here for some time but yeah did we have did we get spice a different way before that was there a different house in charge maybe yeah i took it as there was a different house in charge 
yeah, yeah that that's that's a fair assumption i i think but it certainly is not clear yeah it's not it's not well, uh stated there, there would have had to have been something else there because the freemen have been there for a long long time and they're human so yeah well sure i mean there's a population there but all the all like the known you know empire is wealthy off the spice i, I what i wonder is at what point did they did people discover the spice and then you know because the, the the freemen that live there i think are the original inhabitants i get the impression that all the cities that are built and all the non-freemen are imports as part of the the spice trade maybe, maybe i'm wrong about that what do you guys think uh, i agree with you yeah but yeah, I the, think the they've been mining the spice natives. for a long, long time. Well, we don't know, I guess. Um, we can just guess, which is all, all we've done. I got another question about the uh, Baron. Do you think his plan of putting his uh, his older nephew, Robin, in charge and, and have him like be awful and then have his younger nephew, Fade Rautha, come in and take over and be less awful? You think that's a, a plan that's going to work? Is, it, it seems to me that they're just going to hate the Harkonnens. They're not, or Harkonnens, they're not going to be like, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Is, is that is it a good plan? Uh, I'll say this. Nikki Haley is looking real good right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I think it's, uh, it makes sense to him. Uh, it, it, but, but you're right. I, I don't think any of the people on Arrakis, whether it's the indigenous populations of the Fremen or the, um, people who have, you know, made their villages as workers or whatever, tapping into the whole spice economy thing. I don't think any of them are going to be happy with either one ruling. I think they will be, there will be less problems and hate under, you know, someone who's not constantly trying to, as the Baron said, squeeze you know, squeeze out all of the money and, uh, and, and make it their, their own place. Then what the, the beast Raban was, is supposed the muscle minded tank brain. I love how that, that's how he's <laughs> that's described. Yeah. yeah I, I think, I think in the people's minds, yes, they would be happier to not have that type of oppression, but it's still not better for them in the long run because the Harkonnens and, and fade are, are still going to do the Harkonnen thing. They're going right. to be the rulers. They're going to control. They're going to, what, what does the Baron say? Power and fear. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yes, I think yeah. so. That yeah. Sounds right. So on that, I just want to recap the, the timeline because we've got more information now. The Harkonnens were in charge of Arrakis for 80 years. And then the emperor gave the Atreides Arrakis for two weeks. And then the Harkonnens used by all estimates, 50 to 60 years worth of spice revenue to take back the planet and put it put back into power the exact same person who had previously been in power. And yes, we do get confirmation that the emperor is afraid of the of the, the Atreides, of uh, Duke Leto, but there had to have been a less expensive way <laughs> to get rid of the Duke, right? Well, I think the emperor played the Harkonnen's hatred of the Atreides on him by having him foot the bill because it didn't cost the emperor very much at all. No, no. no, But why would, why would, why would the Baron agree to any of this? I don't remember if, I don't know if we've got any indication that the Baron's going after the emperorship or not. It doesn't seem like it. Uh, He seems to be content unless I'm missing. I I think at one point he did say something about, 
about becoming the emperor. Paul definitely did. He said something about a a Harkonnen becoming the emperor, but it would be down the road. Right. And also, I think think he, he might see this as leverage against the emperor because house against house battles are apparently accepted as long as you follow the rules, which they didn't. But in theory, that's okay. So the Harkonnens had to pay all that money, but they aren't seen by the other houses as being having stepped out of line unless they find out the manner in which it happened. Whereas the emperor shouldn't be doing this at all, I don't think. So I think the Harkonnens look at this as number one. Yes, we have to pay a shitload of money, but we'll be back and we'll have control of the spice. And in the long run, we'll make our money back. Number two, we've gotten rid of the house Atreides, which we hate. Number three, we have a lever against the emperor in the future. So I think it is a huge cost, but it must be that the Baron thinks it's worth it in the long run. The emperor is definitely playing the the game against all all of them. And because I think in the emperor's mind, he's trying to have the Harkonnens waste all that money to, to do this whole gambit in the hopes of bankrupting them and making them less powerful. Yeah. So that they don't try and take over. At least that's what I was kind of getting from it. I agree with you. So did anyone get tired of the smurf-like use of the word water during the uh scenes with the fremen and maybe it was because i was listening to it and not reading it that it was there was an extra emphasis of it yeah, yeah i bet but, i bet there was oh my but goodness i, I, I kind of understand your se- sentiment about it because I, it was just a it was a weird way to introduce the the, the fremen like kind of truly introduce them. I know we got a little bit of introduction with Stilgar before, but to kind of introduce their mentality and their philosophy kind of brought me to one of my questions, which was, does it make sense for the Fremen to be so emotionless and lacking any empathy where basically their only concern is water? If someone's dying or someone's having any sort of issues or whatever, it's like, well, we can get their water or just wait, wait them out and we'll get it. You know, it just, to me, that whole, I get that's, that's how they kind of developed because that's, this is what their situation is, is what their, what their life is on this planet. Uh, it's a very dry planet. But at the same time, the, you can still have people with empathy and being able to relate to a person dying, you know? I just can't imagine that there's enough people dying, like the frequency of people dying is not high enough to where rendering them down for their water is such an urgent endeavor. Well, that might be why it's so urgent. But but you've they've got to have sustainable water without that happening is what I'm saying. Like sure, now you've got an extra hundred pounds of water. That's great. It just it just was very strange for me. I I think that it's a gener over many many generations it developed, and I don't think they were ever like all right, we just got to wait this person out and kill them. They they kept the the fremen kept saying, would they not make that sacrifice? Like I I feel like it's. In their culture, when someone realizes that they will no longer, they will be dying shortly or their chances of survival are low, they make the gift and they say, no, take my water now while you can get the most out of it. And it's seen as sort of a, a way to, to pay your, your, uh, your clan or your, you know, your, your group back as, as, you, as you exit life. It is it is foreign and strange. It didn't jump out at me particularly that they were emphasizing water so much where I was annoyed by it. But I think the point obviously is the one that you saw, which is it, it is the number one concern of their lives. It seems to me that they're living on their lim- the limits of of what the planet can sustain in the desert. There are very few sources of water. 
every little bit helps. So yeah, and, and it didn't really jump out at me in particular, but maybe, maybe like you said, the audio having them, maybe the actor, the way the actor emphasized it or something in, in the audio book version is, was much more uh, noticeable than it was when, when reading it. I, I think we definitely got the point, whether we were reading it or listening to it, that water is, is the main focus of their lives. Yeah. Yes, it did take a while for a lot the, of hints <laughs> for yeah. the Fremen to convince Howitt that the the water cost of keeping a person alive who is only going to die in the end is too great to invest too great of an investment here. And I would have liked Howitt and his mentent mind to yes have come to that conclusion a little more quickly. It was a blind spot because I, I was just like, he's hinting to you. Don't don't you get it? Yeah. He, yeah he's saying. I, you know? I was disappointed that he couldn't calculate that. I, yeah. I think that was a he, he was talking about how he was letting his emotions overcome his mentat powers. I think he must have been fighting that yeah. in the wake of the attack because he wasn't thinking rationally initially, or at least even to grasp what he was saying, you know, right. which is weird because. He's supposed to be the great, you know, one of the great mentats. So you'd think that he'd be able to like categorically just be able to put his emotions aside when yeah. he needs to make calculated decisions, which he was clearly was clearly was in a situation where that was the case. I'm fine with with his, uh, you know, not not being his being out of character in that regard because he was probably severely dehydrated. So you got to imagine that's he's a couple steps away from Kynes looking, <laughs> viewing his <laughs> talking to his dad, talking to his dad, <laughs> father, yeah. Yeah. hallucinating and stuff. This is this is just like um, they we, we talk about in football where the chart might say you should do this, but coaches don't always do it. Yeah, they don't always go for it because they're like, yeah, but it just doesn't feel right to do it, and it's it must be a blind spot for him because the culture is so different. Because that's not how they treat people in his whole experience before this. Um, yeah. They don't think of the water first. But yeah, I, I also was like, come on, get it together, man. He's he keeps mentioning the water and <laughs> the value, you know, like you know, the water gift and all that, and it's like, get it together, man. <laughs> so th this question's just for Matt, but um, how did you like the uh, when Kynes was talking to his father at the end the the use of voice effects and all that stuff in the recording for the the father's voice and all that did you notice it i mean i did notice it i think i liked it i don't remember it exactly i'd have to listen to it again can you yeah. describe it dave i i, so I didn't have that uh, they, opportunity yeah they or... did like the uh you know they had the normal kinds actor and i think the the voice actor who did kinds did a really good job yeah i think they portrayed him he was one of my favorites so far I think he's one of the strongest yeah. voice actors, yeah. And and the Baron is right up there. And the with Baron's him. really good too. It may have been the same actor as Kynes. I'm not sure. I think it was. They made it. They just did some great effects where they made it so you knew it was a voice in his head, something oh. he wasn't actually hearing. It was kind of echoey and kind yeah, of it was a kind little... of distant, but also very present somehow at the same time. It was it was really neat how they did it. I thought it was it a was. great. Now that you're saying that, I'm remembering it a lot better, and I did yeah. really like it. I think it was the same actor, and they just like altered his voice some. Yeah, they had some really really cool effects yeah. on it to give it a neat feeling of he's hearing this, but it's it's his mind coming up with it, and he's not actually hearing it with his ears. Yeah, I thought it played out pretty well. Speaking of the audiobook, I have a question. Did uh, did anybody sing the song that Gurney? Uh, played the ballast for when when one of the guys was dying on the uh, smuggler ship um they did not sing it no no 
did they just speak it like like poetry or yeah they yeah with with some rhythm and to it yeah it was not sung like uh, like a song would be sung and then one more question about this when uh when when the thumper was going and they're going lump 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 did it sound as dumb as it looked on the page <laughs> <laughs> um, i don't i don't remember that to be honest with you we may have just gotten a thump thump thumping yeah. Yeah. Uh, sound effect i don't on the know page it's just lump 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 <laughs> yeah i don't remember that specifically no i don't think i know the they talk about the rhythm of it and okay yeah. That was a smart choice if they did it because I was like, "Yeah, lump just doesn't." <laughs> the sound of it makes sense, but it makes me think of number one, just like a lump of something, or or number two, the presence of the United States of America. Yeah, um, and, and the song "Lump." She's lump. She's lump. <laughs> Uh, Willie Lump Lump uh, yeah. Brand Thumper <laughs> Get out the Willie Lump Lump We need why, to why didn't, he just go, the, why didn't he just do Thump 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 Why off. did it have to be Lump <laughs> Anyway yeah. I thought that was weird I did think it was interesting When they When they Were trying to get away from At night They're trying to get away from the worm And their Thumper did like Go out Like it was You know Taken over or whatever And then they just They just made it to the Rock formation um, But then they can still see that the the worm is you know kind of coming up and and they can uh, you know the the black hole beyond the teeth in, into its belly and stuff. I thought that description was really good. It was also I don't know how well they could have seen that stuff because of the the darkness of the night. I mean, you get some uh, moonlight, maybe moonlight. Yeah, but, uh, I did really like you know sort of explaining that stuff and also what was the worm doing? You know, if it was. There's there's not a whole lot of background as far as the motivations of the worms, <laughs> which is fine. You know, it's not like it needs right. to be like this is what the worm is thinking and why it's doing. You know, um, but it it makes it makes me think when I'm reading it. You know, what's what's the worm's purpose? Like, why is it even going after the the sounds? Is it just to eat? You know, it doesn't have any problem eating metallic things like um, ornithopters. Somehow, uh, you know, it just it can. It can eat those and, and digest those. And why is it going after any any old big sound that it hears? And probably get rid of anything that's going after the spice. Yeah. Well, they also mentioned that they're they're very territorial amongst each other. So maybe yeah. they're just defending their their territory in case yeah. it is another worm or something. Yeah, we don't know much about what the worms are thinking or why they do what they do. So when Jessica and Paul were in the rock formations uh, after the worm had had caught up to them, and then the Fremen came out, and it was very you know tense and and obviously it kind of cliffhanged and stuff. The part where Paul is talking about how it's blind time, and and it as as mm. if it's a future he hasn't seen yet. I thought that was kind of interesting because mm-hmm. it made me think you know is he having is he sort of building up sort of these waking dream events as sort of signals or signs of future events that could happen as a way of sort of helping him to be a more effective leader in the future, or even to just kind of guide him on his path. And so then when he, when he encounters things that he hasn't seen yet, he he's sort of like taken aback because eh, I don't know what's going to happen here. You know, it'll probably go an okay way because there, he's seen futures beyond that, that are, that he's still alive, you know, right. and, his, and his mom is still alive and his sister is there. So obviously it's not going to go horribly wrong, but he doesn't really know exactly what's happening. I mean, I don't know if if those are guaranteed necessarily Mm -hmm. though, right? I I think he sees possibilities 
and mm-hmm. that helps guide him. But clearly, when things happen that he was, that he hasn't seen a possibility for, then he doesn't see anything. I feel like there's a possibility that if he takes the wrong step or something happens, he does die, and then none of those things come to pass because the the future keeps changing on him depending yeah. on what his choices are. So. Yeah, I suppose we don't really know for sure whether he's having visions of things that will come or that can potentially happen. I, I, I guess I didn't really, I hadn't thought about the fact that they didn't make that distinction. Yeah, I guess we'll find out more as we, we read along here. It kind of made me think like, you know, maybe he, because of the spice affecting him, he's maybe starting to have a lot more of these future waking visions, you know, prescient what's going to come forward in almost kind of like a, uh, you know, Dr. Strange being able to see all of the millions of multitude of, of possible paths forward and trying to figure out which one is the actual one, the one that's going to happen. So I thought it was just kind of interesting that, you know, that there, he was talking about a time that he didn't actually know about as if maybe he knows about a lot of the other times. Right. But also it got me on the path of thinking, well, you know, this could this could be very beneficial for him as a leader in his leadership role of trying to be this Messiah figure for the Fremen and and, and kind of taking things back and and correcting all of the problems of the of the Harkonnens and the and the Emperor trying to, you know, play his chess game with the the different houses. Having this being able to see the future in this way could help convince other people that he's a good leader and a, you know, he's, he's the Messiah figure that they're expecting to come, but not in the expected way as the, they said previously, how he's unexpected. He's maybe not exactly the Quetzatz Haderach that they, uh, the Bene Gesserit was, was expecting. Right. Is there another name that the Fremen have for him? The Lisan Al-Gaib. Okay. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Is that different than the Bene Gesserit name? Like is, are those same person? My guess is that it's it's their name for the seeds that were planted generations ago by the Bene Gesserit. Okay. And it just sort of developed. But yeah. that's just that's just a guess, but that's what I think. That's what I thought too, but I wasn't sure if I had missed something because of all the vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, lots of invented words, but yeah. It's it, and that's the thing. Like we we talked about how this this felt slow. And some things happened, so it wasn't entirely slow. Part one was mostly slow as well, the first half of book one, but we were just getting settled in and learning. Then it blew up into some action. So right. I feel like when we when we sort of like retreat back to world building, it does it feels more slow because we felt like we've already gotten rolling and now this is a sort of return to sort of slightly more glacially paced actual events. And it's mostly just learning about stuff, um, which I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's always been my memory of this book that it happens in fits and starts. Like you learn a lot and then a, a bunch of stuff happens and then you stop for a minute and you learn a bunch and then more stuff happens. And, and that's just kind of this herky jerky feeling that the narrative always gives me. I, I mean, there was a lot of good world building, but we also jumped around a lot. There was a lot of different stories to keep track of. Yeah. And maybe that makes the, the pace of it seem more tolerable because if you spent about a hundred straight pages of just Paul and Jessica stealing ornithopters. And then you did a hundred pages of the Baron being the worst human being ever. It might, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's reaching out towards incest as well now too. Yeah. So yeah, excellent. Well. He, is, is he the bad guy then? Is that what you guys are thinking? <laughs> Not certain. Okay. Not I think certain. it's well, all going to turn around and he's going to be the big hero. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he saves everyone. 
I did have a question about the uh, the Harkonnens and their their basically just their constant plan of, of of dumping dumping people out into the desert as a way of just like garbage disposal. Um, does it seem odd that they weren't a little bit? I, I mean, I get that they don't want the evidence, right? That's yeah. the whole point of getting putting them out there. But wouldn't you want to just be sure that they're dead before you just go and like throw them into a wormhole or something? Well, that's that's the Baron's whole thing, though, too. Yeah. Like he makes a big point of knowing that you know, n- never give me possibilities, give me facts, right? So, but he also makes a point of of not not actually knowing what happened, so that he can bypass any truth right. sayer type yes, of exactly. But it's like you, it's you at least know that you. Uh, I, I don't know. I just you, I think I, can, you have some plausible deniability, but yes. you, if a truth sayer is asking you about these situations, it's like, oh yes, well, I, you know, I had my people go and drop these, you know, <laughs> I had I had them drop uh, kinds off in the desert. You know, it's it just um, if, maybe it didn't play out that way. Maybe he had he just was like, I don't want to know. Do whatever you got to right. do with kinds. Well, I think it's definitely that that he, he I mean, like you said, he's trying he's trying to defend himself against the truthsayers, but also remember how protected the nobles are even when they do bad things. Like the the fact that a noble was killed is seen as like sort of terrifying to all the other nobles. So, I think as long as you can give the um the emperor an out, like, well, he didn't actually command him to happen or, you know, it was out of his hands. He'll, he'll, there'll be some sort of forgiveness on some level and they'll, they'll be allowed to, to keep their place and, uh, and their lives. That's, I don't know. I think as long as they don't actually do it themselves, they're kind of off the hook. Yeah. Kinds ended up in like a very specific spot where the desert swallowed him up. Um, yeah. They may have experience in making sure, well, we'll dehydrate them, throw them out in the sun, and we know that this spot will eat them up because yeah. of the different uh, ecological events happening here. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, tell us what you think of Dune in the comments. Like and subscribe if you're into that kind of thing. If you want more content like this, you can find everything we've done at 64tacos.com. And if you really liked it, go to buymeacoffee.com slash 64tacos where you can buy us a taco. Thanks for listening. I caught it on audio. And also, I mean, maybe it has some sort of connection to Paul uh, that uh, maybe I, I don't, I, you know, I'm I'm going off into the ether of speculation here, but, you know, maybe there's, there's some sort of um, telepathic connection or something going on um, because Paul is, you know, the one and changed. Um, probably not. I don't know. That's, that's stupid. Cut this out. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Zach, if we just cut out everything stupid, you'd have have to cut most of my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't ain't that that the truth? No. Um, (laughs)